Our scripture this morning comes from Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on in the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Good morning. We are starting a new series this morning, looking at the Gospel of Mark in reverse. So naturally, we're starting this morning with the resurrection. Knowing that Jesus defeated sin and death and is alive, it changes the way we experience the Gospel. It takes the worst thing that can happen to us and it gives us a new perspective. It offers us hope when we hear that we are diagnosed with cancer. It offers us hope when our marriage ends. It offers us hope when we fail an exam. It offers us hope when we don't get into the college that we wanted to go to. Now, I know I'm not going to get much sympathy from any in this audience other than Duke fans, but it's been a hard time to be a Carolina fan. And so, I usually watch the games live, but instead, over the last months, what I've done is I've pre-recorded the games. And then, if I see that Carolina has won, I'll go back and watch them. And it is amazing how enjoyable it is to watch a Carolina game knowing that they've won, because if they're down by 10, I don't panic. If they miss a free throw, I don't panic. Knowing the end certainly changes my experience in watching a game. Likewise, knowing the end, that Jesus is risen from the dead, it changes our everyday lives and everything that comes at us. Knowing that Jesus is raised from the dead will help us see the injustice of his trial in a new way. It'll help us see his interactions with the Pharisees in a new light. And it will also help us see our daily lives with a renewed sense of hope and faith. So today, as we look at the end of the gospel story in Mark 16, verses 1 through 8, we're going to see two things. The first is, the resurrection turns the world upside down. And then secondly, the resurrection crushes all Christ's enemies. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful this morning 
for the opportunity to celebrate your birth. We're grateful for the opportunity to come back this morning and worship you here. Lord, you know the hearts of everyone here in this room and those that are watching online. And we would just ask this morning that you would meet us. And that you'd take this ancient text and Holy Spirit, that you'd use it to have its way in our hearts, in our minds. Give us fresh eyes to see your resurrection this morning. Give us fresh eyes to see that you have your foot on Satan's neck, even as we worship this morning. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I encourage you to take your phones out. You can actually pull up your app and look at Mark 16 or your Bibles. We don't have bulletins this morning. But we're going to walk through the first eight verses of chapter 16. And the first thing that we learn is that the resurrection turns the world upside down. In verse 1, Luke writes, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might go and anoint him. Now the Sabbath day was from Friday at 5 p.m. until Saturday at 5 p.m. So for 24 hours, these three women, full of grief, having seen Jesus being crucified on a cross, they did all they could do. And what was it that they did? They gathered spices so that they, as soon as the Sabbath was over, they could go to the tomb and anoint Jesus' body to prevent the odor of death. So then on Sunday morning, as the sun rose around 6 a.m., verse 2 tells us, very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And as they hurried towards the tomb, like any of us who had just experienced an incredible trauma, they were a bit disoriented. They had all come up with this great plan to anoint Jesus' body. But they had forgotten one major detail. And in verse 3, we read, And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us? They had forgotten that there was a huge stone placed over the tomb. And so they began to question as they got closer, who's going to roll the stone away? But I find great comfort in knowing, especially in the midst of trauma, God is looking out for us and supernaturally intervenes when we see, when we're seeking to do good and to do the right thing. And in verse 4, looking up, as they arrived at the tomb, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. And I love the women's comedic humor here. That They comment, it was very large. And so they noticed that God had done an incredible thing by rolling the stone back. God chose the very first witnesses of eternal life to be women. Now, this is a powerful statement because women in the ancient Near East, they were not allowed to testify in a court of law. But in verse 5, Mark tells us, In entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, 
And they were alarmed. Now it's important to note in myths, myths don't contain factual detail. But Mark here, he gives us very specific details to attest to the legitimacy of this account. The woman saw not just a man, she saw a young man sitting not on the left side of the slab where Jesus' body would have been laid, but on the right side. And he was dressed in a white robe. And then Mark even informs us of the three women's emotional state. They were alarmed. Mark gives us the specific details to support the veracity of the women's claims. And then looking in verses 6 and 7, And the angel said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, go tell his disciples and Peter. I love that. That the angel included Peter because Peter had denied Jesus three times. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Jesus had always enlisted women as as disciples. But this is the next level. They are the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And they're going to be the first heralds of the gospel. Jesus, in this moment, threw the empire for a loop. Women were not allowed to testify in court. Yet this story would have been an embarrassment in the early church. And they could have easily left it out. But Mark didn't because Jesus' resurrection turned everything upside down. Imagine a Roman centurion. Why does this final story have all these women? And Peter telling Mark, I don't care. I want you to tell the truth. The kingdom of God mocks the world's foolishness. In 1 Corinthians 1.20, Paul writes this, Where is the wise one? Where the scribe? The debaters of this age. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In God's kingdom, Jesus elevates the overlooked. The empire, the evil empire says women are gullible, illogical, easily deceived. Christ says, women are my first witnesses. Women are going to launch my kingdom. Jesus' resurrection turns the world upside down. The first will be last. The poor will get to sit at the head of the table. The sinner is forgiven. The outcast finds a home. These three women are the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And they're called to herald the good news to the disciples. Jesus is raised from the dead. And in so doing, he upends the world. And so if you're here this morning and you're thinking that a particular sin has disqualified you from being a witness of God, remember that God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 
If you don't feel particularly gifted or talented, yet you want to be a part of building God's kingdom, Paul says every part of the body is important. All of you have value. And all of you, he wants to use your gifts to build his kingdom. My college roommate, he has five kids. And I remember getting the phone call when Laura was pregnant with the fifth. And there was a little tone in his voice of sadness. And Tim's very, very optimistic. He's a surgeon in Boone. And I was kind of thinking, what's going on? And he said, well, we found out um, that our fifth baby to be born has Downs. And I just, I just was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And he said, yeah, the world would tell us to terminate this pregnancy. And we've actually had people at the hospital tell us to terminate the pregnancy. But we believe in Jesus Christ, and so there's no way we're going to terminate this pregnancy. And so Laura carried, and she gave birth to this little baby girl that had Downs, or has Downs, named Holland. And Holland is the most sweetest, kindest little girl. And out of the five kids, she's my favorite. And I was talking to Tim. He came up with his uh, son, and they were playing a baseball tournament. And I was talking. I said, how's Holland doing? And he said to me, you know, Todd, out of the five kids that we have, Holland is our little evangelist. Because wherever she goes, she's so full of joy, and she doesn't hesitate to move toward people and to tell them that Jesus Christ is alive. And that Jesus Christ loves them. And that Jesus Christ wants to be in a relationship with him. God turns the world upside down. What the world would say needs to be terminated. God says, no. I'm going to take this little girl. And she is going to be an evangelist in Boone. And she is going to share Jesus Christ. So the first thing we see in our text this morning is that the resurrection, it upends the world. Secondly, we see that the resurrection crushes all of Christ's enemies. Again, why resurrection after Christmas? Because in a few days, many of us are going to descend into darkness. The pandemic continues. We're going to get news of other friends or loved ones that have been diagnosed with cancer. Some of us might lose our jobs. We're going to fail tests. And yet, because we know that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, we can be a people of hope. Because we know that Jesus has defeated his greatest enemy, Satan. Celebrating the birth of Jesus is extremely important. But without his death and resurrection, the principalities and powers would still be running freeshod in our world. The angel tells Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus and Salome, Jesus Christ has defeated death and is risen. Jesus has conquered the grave and in so doing dealt a severe blow to Satan. And when Jesus comes again, Revelations 12, 9 tells us, the great dragon will be hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who led the whole world astray. Satan took one of the most humiliating instruments that the Romans had ever invented 
to establish execution on a cross. And Satan smiled as the Roman soldiers nailed Jesus to it. And when Jesus took his last breath, Satan and all his minions, they rejoiced, believing that they had conquered God. But Jesus had the last laugh as he burst through darkness of death and walked out of the tomb. I mean, can you imagine the look on Satan's face when he heard the news that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? There's a great scene in The Matrix Revolution. It's the third of The Matrix. I'm a huge Matrix fan. And in the scene, it's toward the end, Neo is in The Matrix. And he's being chased by Agent Smith, the nemesis, the evil Agent Smith. And all these agents are chasing him. And at the same time, back at the ship, you have Trinity and Morpheus. And they have these little machines that go out and they're attacking their ship. And so they're trying to get Neo out of the matrix so that they can fight off the machines that are attacking the ship. And so Neo is running through the the city, which is a make-believe city in the matrix, trying to get away from Agent Smith. And he keeps running and keeps running and keeps running. And all the while, these machines are attacking the ship. And Trinity's talking to him as he lay there. He's like, run, run, you've got to get out. And so he finally runs and he hears the phone ringing, which is the way to get out of the matrix. And he opens the door and there's Agent Smith with a gun and he shoots Neo in the chest. And Neo falls back and he shoots him again and again and again. Neo dies. And Trinity sees his body and sees that his monitor has gone dead. And she looks at him and she says, you can't be dead The oracle told me that you're the one. I love you. You need to get up. And in that moment, Neo begins to rise. And you can see the look on Agent Smith's face of shock and horror. How could this be that he's alive? And so what does Agent Smith do? He shoots him again and again and again. And all these bullets come rushing toward Neo And Neo puts out a hand like this, and the bullets just drop. And then he bends down to the ground, he picks up the bullet, and he looks at it. And then Agent Smith is so shocked, how can this be? And runs toward him and starts to hit him. And Neo, just in slow motion, just kind of says, you're like a gnat. And then finally, Neo thrusts himself into Agent Smith, destroying him. And destroying the evil empire through that. And then Neo gets back to the ship. And they're able to avert these machines that are trying to destroy it. The resurrection turns the world upside down. And the resurrection shocked Satan. The truth is, Jesus Christ died. And through his resurrection, he has overcome all his enemies. Satan is defeated. The dominion of sin is broken. Light is now shining in the darkness of our world. Death has lost its sting. And through faith, we can be restored 
to our Heavenly Father as He brings the restoration of the world. Knowing Jesus is risen from the dead gives us a much fuller understanding of the little baby Jesus laying in a manger. Knowing Jesus is risen from the dead gives us a much fuller picture of his life here on earth, his suffering and humiliation on a wooden cross. Because of the resurrection, all is overcome. Now, how does this apply to us today? Satan will regret everything he's done to mess with you. Whatever you think is too much to overcome in your life, Christ is more powerful. You feel embarrassed and humiliated. No one could have felt it more than Jesus. You feel lonely and ignored. No one could have felt it more than Jesus. You feel like you are dying. Could there be a death more horrible than what Jesus endured on the cross? Mark ends his gospel with the final victory. Knowing this changes everything in our stories. So I wonder this morning, what are you facing in the new year that overwhelms you? That frightens you? That keeps you awake at night? Whatever it is, remember Jesus is greater. Jesus is present with you. Jesus is for you, and Jesus is working through all things for the good of those who profess faith in Him. You can place your trust in Him. He's not dead. He's alive. And He has His foot on the neck of Satan. And one day He will come again. He will cast Satan into eternal fire. Sin will be eradicated once and for all. And Christ will usher us into a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more dying, there's no more crying, there's no more sin. Shalom will come.